Lekutei Sichais, Parshas Yisrei, Chelek Chofalef, Volume 21, Sicha 2, Sicha Beis. In Parakutes, Chapter 19 of this week's Torah portion, in Pasuk Beis, Verse 2, the Pasuk tells us that Vayisu Merafidim, they traveled from Merafidim and arrived at the Sinai Desert. Vayachanu Bamidbar, they camped in the desert, Vayichan Sham Yisrael, there the nation of Israel rested, Neged Hahar, facing the mountain. The Rebbe begins the Sicha quoting the Mechilta's commentary on this verse. Mechilta teaches that in each place where it says, and they traveled and they camped in the plural, it indicates that their journey was with argument and their camping, too, was with divisiveness. In this verse, it is different, as they were all united with one desire and one thought. Rashi, too, quotes this when explaining the verse. Rashi phrases this differently, and in fact, in the opposite order of the Mechilta. Rashi prefaces this journey or encampment and says, the nation of Israel rested there, as one man with one heart, but all other journeys were with disagreement and argument. Looking at these two explanations, the words of the Mechilta are telling us that this encampment was unique in that they equally all had the same thing in their hearts, and it was not like all the other times when they journeyed divided with different opinions and camped with different opinions in their thoughts and desires. Rashi's explanation, however, seems to tell us that there was a novel reality here and that all other encampments were with disagreement and argument. So we want to understand what the ideas are behind the differences in the way the Mechilta and Rashi are expressed. A simple level, the difference appears to be based on the way the verse is understood by the Mechilta and the way Rashi understands the same verse. Through the Mechilta we learn that every place the Torah tells us they traveled and they camped, they were not aligned as a people in their wants or opinions and needs, so there was complaint and disagreement. And we learn this from the words in Torah that tell us they traveled in plural and they camped in plural. So when we learn verse 2, Pasuk Beis, in our Torah portion, in this chapter, we notice that it's different. And the word Vayichan, and they camped in the singular, is used. Hence the lesson that their hearts were of equal standing with one another and aligned. On the other hand, Rashi isn't indicating or highlighting the words Vayisu, Vayachanu they traveled and they camped in the plural, as they were practically indeed a plural. There were many of them. They were all the many tribes of Israel with their families. Rashi, however, is pointing out that there is a word in our verse that tells us something unusual here, and that is the word sham. Rashi thus highlights the words, Vayichan sham Yisrael, and the nation camped there, in the singular, and notices that the word sham is a seemingly extra word in this verse, as the Torah could have simply stated 
They camped in the desert and they camped facing the mountain. Thus Rashi is teaching that the word Sham and the word Vayichan in the singular, there, and they camped in the singular, is of significance in that they camped there as one man, as one man with one heart. But all other times that they camped, there were differences of opinions and even complaints. This then brings us back to the Mechulta's explanation and the question as to why does the Mechulta teach us that the words Vayisu, Vayachanu, they traveled and they camped in the plural, means they did so with argument and complaint. In fact, the Mechilta explains Pasuk Lamed Zion, verse 37, in Parakid Beis, chapter 12, in the Torah portion of Bo, that reads, Vayisu b'nei Yisrael miramses sukaisa, the nation of Israel traveled from Ramses to Sukais to mean that they traveled keheref ayin, which translates to mean in the time it takes to blink, which is then described in the Torah portion, in our Torah portion, as having been carried on eagles' wings. Surely a journey that God makes occur in the blink of an eye isn't one of disagreement and argument. On the other hand, Rashi's explanation too is challenging, in that if Rashi wants to help us understand the word sham in our verse, as the uniqueness in the encampment at Sinai, why the need to add the negative that in the other encampments there was dissension or there was argument or disagreement? The point, however, Rashi's explanation, which is to explain the literal intention of the Torah, tells us that all the encampments were with strife, quite literally, and while there's no proof for this in the actual world, words, vayisu, vayachanu, that they traveled and they camped, that in all other journeys there was argument, it's the word sham there in our verse discussing this encampment that we understand that this particular time, there at Sinai, we were as one with a single heart, but the other encampments were not so. The Mechilta, however, isn't talking about argument per se, only that they were quite naturally many opinions, as there were so many people opining about how to, be how to best undertake their journeys and their encampments. Therefore, these journeys are always described in the plural, because this occurred each time the nation traveled and camped. This is particularly understood when studied through the lens of the inner Torah, which teaches us that the 42 journeys in the desert allude to the 42 levels of elevation in divine service, in which case, of course, there are differences between every single Jew whose personal journeys are all unique to his or her own spiritual level, in accordance with one's own heart, with one's own soul, and with what is most personal to that individual, this was different here at this journey, at Sinai, and it was unique and novel that we were all prepared to receive the Torah with a single united desire. The Torah is a vehicle that brings us to a state of complete wholeness. And so as we prepared to receive the Torah, it created a total oneness among our nation, completely nullifying our differences of opinion even. Which also helps us understand 
why the journey from Ramses to Sukkot, which is described with a plural, Vayisu, and they traveled, tells us that though this was a journey that occurred in the blink of an eye, it was not yet one which had complete unity of thought and opinion between the nation. Only this journey at Sinai to receive the Torah, camping before the mountain, unified them all in thought and in desire, something that can occur only through Torah. Rashi tells us even more than that, that the Torah brings us to a united state even when there are differences of opinion and even when there is argument and dissent. That occurred there, Sham, only. At other times, there were differences of opinion and disagreements. Let's better understand this quality of Torah, which is the only thing that can bring us to this state of oneness. It would seem that Torah, too, offers many differences of opinion. In fact, our sages teach us, as is quoted in the Medrash Tillim, that Torah was not given to us cut into clearly delineated pieces. Rather, everything in Torah has 49 ways that impurity can be seen, 49 ways that purity can be observed. This allows for the acquittal or the conviction of a person based upon a majority. Torah obligates us to have differing opinions, yet all are the words of a living God, as were taught in the tractate of Erevin. In that case, how can we say that because we were about to receive the Torah, all separating thoughts were nullified and we were unified with a single heart? Even if halacha determines one opinion, and after a halachic determination, we're all obligated to abide by this one opinion, it isn't as though everyone's opinions have all aligned with this and all other thoughts have simply become null. It's only that this is then the law for all and what we follow. We're still divided in our opinions, however. So how do we get from this to the statement that our hearts were like one, not only unified in action, but in desire or thought? To understand this, we go back one verse to the first verse in this chapter, in Perikutes, chapter 19, and notice that the Torah highlights that this journey arriving at the Sinai Desert, took place in the third month after leaving Egypt. On this day, the Torah tells us, on the third day month after leaving Egypt, we arrived at the Sinai Desert. Thus, there's an inherent connection between Vayichan and they camped in the singular and all that it means and the value of the number three. Our sages express this in the tractate of Shabbos thusly. Blessed is God who gave us a Torah mishuleshet, a threefold Torah, or a ternary Torah, a Torah of three parts, to a ternary people in the third month. Intentionally in the third month, because of the Torah's inherent connection to the number three. This is interesting. The idea of oneness as one person with a single heart seems more connected to the idea of one, more associated to the first month. The first of the six days of creation is called Yom Rishon, day one, just as God is one and only one in his universe. How does the oneness of Vayichan and Ekemt connect to the third month? Three automatically suggests 
multiplicity and division. The difference between the numbers 1, 2, and 3 are that the number 1 suggests that originally there exists one only, as our sages teach, God is one in the universe. The number 2 points to division, fractiousness, which is the opposite of oneness. The uniqueness in the number 3 is that it has the capacity to unite the two fractious parts. This is experienced in the teaching of the Teres Kayanim that states two verses that negate one another and a third verse is brought to explain their seeming discrepancy. This teaching offers us insight into something and its very opposite. On one hand, the Torah attests to these two verses as opposing one another, like a difference of opinion that we mentioned earlier. But these are not just differences of opinion. They actually negate one another, and deeper study won't resolve the contradiction that seems to exist between them, which is like arguments and disagreement, for which a third verse is needed to assist in, under, in understanding that they do not in fact negate one another. But this can occur only through the assistance of this third verse. On the other hand, the novelty of the third verse is that it can arbitrate between the two verses, not only state which one is more accurate, but to take both verses and show how both verses, which seem to on their own negate one another, are in fact understood together with a quote-unquote arbitration of the third. This is like the teaching in the Tractate of Shabbos, that the halacha goes according to the opinion of the one who offers a compromising opinion to two dissenting opinions. As the compromising opinion negates neither one of the two dissenting opinions, it rather incorporates both, and they are understood together once the third verse or opinion is offered. Once our sages connect Torah et al. and the number three, we understand that all of Torah is like the third idea that can arbitrate, which means that even where there is a halachic determination, even where a halachic determination is not an obviously arbitrated opinion, but seems rather to negate another opinion, it is in truth a matter of arbitration, because once the law is determined, the dissenting opinions all agree to the accepted law, not only in action, but also in conscious thought, so that there is an actual peace between all opinions. And this is the power of Torah. As the inimitable words of King David in chapter 28 of Tehillim, Hashem oizla amayitin, Hashem yivarach bashalom. God gives strength to his nation. First, there is the multiplicity of opinions in an idea of halacha. But when the arbitration is reached and the decision rendered in accordance with one of the opinions, which requires strength, the determination of the law to argue against the different opinions, to arrive at a compromising opinion that all halakha sources commit to, then there is shalom, wholeness. All conquer fully, and there is true peace between them. This helps us better understand the incident that is recorded in the tractate of Rosh Hashanah in chapter 25 that relates that when Rabbi Yeshua's calculation determined that Yom Kippur was to fall on a day that differed from the day that Rabbi Gamliel had determined, 
Rabbi Gamliel ordered Rabbi Yeshua to come to him with his staff and money in hand on the day that Rabbi Yeshua had determined to be Yom Kippur. And Rabbi Yeshua did so. Rabbi Gamliel's order was surprising, as it would have been sufficient as a show of his acceptance of Rabbi Gamliel's date for Rabbi Yeshua to show that he was following the term, determination of Rabbi Gamliel. And on that day that he, Rabbi Yeshua, had determined would be Yom Kippur, simply travel from his home to Yavna, a journey that was beyond the allotted amount of travel time on Shabbos. Why did he specifically need to come with his staff and his money in hand? One of the explanations given is that there was a need to show that Rabbi Yeshua was not doing as Rabbi Gamliel told him to out of Kabbalat all only. This was not only acceptance of Rabbi Gamliel's decision, but in his own mind, he's still right about the date, rather to show that all of him, his consciousness included, agreed with Rabbi Gamliel. Even though he had made a halachic determination about Yom Kippur, that it did not fall on the same day that Rabbi Gamliel had determined. But once he accepted that the halacha was as Rabbi Gamliel said, all of him, his mind, his thoughts, and his consciousness accepted this. And proof of this was his coming with his staff and his money. This made it obvious that Rabbi Gamliel's halachic decision was accepted by the whole of Rabbi Yeshua, both internally and externally. Not only did he come with his staff, which is at least of some service to him, but also with his money, which was completely secondary to his coming. This too accompanied Rabbi Yeshua to Yavna. How do we understand this idea that there was a clear opinion one had arrived at in halacha, but now it's possible to completely accept a different understanding? Though the Torah is wisdom and intellect, as the verse in the Torah portion of Eschanan tells us, Ki uvinaschem, the Torah is your wisdom and your understanding, before the eyes of the nations, there's a unique quality to knowledge of Torah that does not exist in plain or common secular knowledge. Our sages put it this way, if one says that the nations have knowledge, believe it. If one claims that the nations have Torah, this is not so. Do not believe it. If we say that there is knowledge among the nations of the world, then it turns out that the aspect of Torah knowledge that does not exist among the nations isn't actually knowledge, it's something else, something esoteric. So what does the verse mean when the Torah tells us Torah is your wisdom and your knowledge in the eyes of the nations of the world? The explanation is that the quality of Torah knowledge that does not exist among the Gentiles of the world that does not exist in their knowledge either. Hence, Torah is chochmaschem, your knowledge, a special knowledge that belongs to the Jew, and binaschem, a special bina in Torah that is unique to the Jew who studies it. The quality of Torah over knowledge is in the word Torah itself. The word Torah is from the root word of hora'ah, as in casting light, or as in a lesson. Torah, the Torah of truth, doesn't only explain the essential truth of everything, but we also receive the directive and the path one must walk. Whereas ordinary wisdom does not instruct one in how to live, it only teaches a person 
that he follow, if he follows a certain path, these are the consequences. But ordinary wisdom gives no instruction in behavior. Science and knowledge of medicine, for example, teaches a person the consequences of certain behaviors, but in no way obligates a person to do something specific. If one chooses to, one can do great harm to oneself, despite what they know. Torah, however, instructs us quite clearly that it's forbidden for one to self-harm. Thus, Torah is your wisdom and your understanding in the eyes of the nations. When we study something in Torah, there's the awareness that there's a halachic determination that results from this study. And so one engages deeply and with uncommon effort into the study in order to understand and thereby reach the core and the truth, which is part and parcel of the knowledge. And this makes Torah much deeper than just an intellectual common study. Torah is God's absolute wisdom and truth. Truth completely penetrates every aspect of existence, Otherwise, it isn't truth. And when this truth is revealed, it cannot be limited to the world of intellect, but rather it penetrates deeply into the entirety of one's consciousness so that one cannot deny this truth while holding this wisdom. So one's ultimate action is influenced by this truth, and action is the essential point of it all. For this reason, there's a difference between the way one acquires Torah knowledge versus ordinary knowledge. One of these differences is explained by our sages as the reason why halacha is determined according to the house of Hillel and not as the determinations of the house of Shammai. Even though the determinations of the house of Shammai were deduced with greater sharpness in their study, the house of Hillel had a more humane and sensitive leaning. Shouldn't the law be determined by the sharpest minds, which then gives the greatest opportunity to arrive at the deepest understanding of the law? Shouldn't the law then be determined according to the house of Shammai? In fact, says the Rebbe, in order to access the essential truth of Torah, which is Jewish law, intellect and sharp reasoning are not enough. Intellect has its own capacity to be swayed by kindness or by restraint. In fact, we know that the house of Shammai was swayed with their leaning towards restraint and the house of Hillel by their leaning towards benevolence. Thus, while the purpose and the goal of intellectual study is to search for the essential truth of all things, and indeed man can therefore even divest himself of his natural tendencies and accept things that flex his own inclinations, as we see in the instances when the house of Shammai showed greater leniency in Jewish law and the house of Hillel showed greater restraint, One's intellect remains as it was in its limited biases, and the natural leanings one has can prevent a person from receiving the absolute truth of an intellectual thought and idea. What is needed beyond the intellect is the ability to nullify those personal tendencies and biases and can only then access truth. Because the house of Hillel were by nature more sensitive and more humble, the halacha went according to them. This is alluded to in the experience of the study of the six books of Mishnah. The study of Mishnah begins with a discussion of when we say the evening Shema and finishes with a general statement in regards to Torah study. The words at the conclusion of the Mishnah, 
the school of Elijah taught, anyone who studies halachas every day is guaranteed that he is destined for the world to come. The conclusion of Mishnah is about the study of Torah law, because the purpose of all this study is to formalize it in the fulfillment of the law, and in this way reveal the absolute truth in Torah. But to arrive at this truth, we begin this study with the laws of reciting the Shema, which is the recital of our total acceptance of the responsibility of being a Jew. The total acceptance, that total acceptance, facilitates our nullification to God's will, and then our Torah study too is with the nullification of self and total acceptance of God's will. And one knows that when one studies and must determine halacha, another Jew's adherence to the halacha is dependent upon him. And whether that Jew will do as God wills or God forbid the opposite. So he studies in a state of trepidation to accurately determine halacha as is God's true will. This trepidation brings a person to a state of nullification of the ego and facilitates his ability to be a vessel to absolute truth of Torah and to accurately determine the law. Accordingly, we can understand how Torah creates true peace where there is separateness and division in thought to the extent that all can agree and accept intellectually as well a halachic determination. When the discussion is about a difference of opinion that is all based upon intellect, then the differences of opinion are not resolved because in the domain of intellect, one can be swayed in many directions and thus there is room for several differing opinions. In plain knowledge, that too exists. There are differences of opinion, but majority rules as there needs to be law and order, otherwise there's anarchy. But this is only as far as action is concerned. The minority who are of a different opinion bow to the majority, but they remain unconvinced of the majority position and logic. This is different, of course, in a decision of Torah law, which reveals the essential truth of something. And because this is the essential truth, which penetrates every aspect of existence, as we said earlier, it's accepted at all levels. And there's no difference between one who has a natural inclination in a certain direction, perhaps of benevolence, or one who has an inclination towards givura. Truth is accepted as truth completely. Therefore, when a Jew studies Torah in a state of complete egolessness and acceptance of God's will, that transforms him into a vessel of Torah truth. And he hears that the halachic decision is not as he understood it, or not, not as he opined, but like the dissenting opinion, he pours himself into the idea with a renewed intensity until his intellect too accepts and aligns itself with the halachic decision. This then connects to the explanation of the difference in the three months Nisan, Iyar, and Sivan. Nisan, the first month reflecting the idea of oneness, is the month of our leaving Egypt, which occurred with divine revelation that was completely initiated by God. Because this redemption came, not through the nation, but through God himself, there was no division among the nation, and all left Egypt as one. This oneness in leaving Egypt 
was prominent in how they left the land of Egypt and in their actual status when they left Egypt. Both their gathering from all over Egypt to Ramses and their first journey actually leaving Egypt from Ramses to Sukkot was in a manner that God carried them on the wings of an eagle, in the blink of an eye, in a way that defied any type of division between them. Also, the description the Torah gives our nation upon leaving Egypt, Tzivos Hashem, God's legions, or God's army, indicates a foundation of complete acceptance of the yoke of heaven. There can be no division in an army between one and another who serve. Division exists in one's intellect, where people are inclined to understand and to feel differently from one another. But where there is Kabbalah's all, all are aligned, because their leaving Egypt came from above, and in a way that all Jews were equal in that moment, there was no sign of division among the entire nation of 12 tribal families and the classes of Kohanim, Leviim, and Yisraelim. They were unified in their complete acceptance of God's will, of their acceptance of the yoke of heaven. They were God's legions. But on the other hand, that unified position was only in regard to the acceptance of the divine will and connected to the action taken internally, in thought, and in their internal attributes, they were divided. The divisiveness, however, did not emerge and exhibit itself because God revealed himself to them. They were, were, however, in a state of vayisu. They, in the plural, traveled. The next month, the month of Iyar, the second month, is the month of counting the Omer, which reflects the service of every Jew as an individual. We are then in a situation where our individuality as a multiplus people is obvious as we work on our individual and distinctly personal levels. The second month is followed by the month of Sivan, the third month, the month of the giving of the Torah, the month in which Torah unifies all Jews in a way that we are all Belev Echad with one heart, with one consciousness. Notwithstanding our differences of opinions and our arguments, Torah creates wholeness between all the different opinions until we are equal in our hearts, a complete and true wholeness. One of the lessons we learn from all of this is when the Altareb explains in chapter 32, Perak Lamed Beis of Tanya, that the idea of Avas Yisrael has to be extended to every nefesh, every Jew that lives from great to small, because at the soul root level, all are equal, and there is one Father, God is one Father to us all. It might be asked, if I actually had access to another Jew's soul source, you could then require of me that I love another Jew with true brotherly love. But I don't have that access. And not only can't I see the soul source reflected in another's character, but one might be literally in a situation where the coarseness of his physicality completely conceals even the light of the soul. How can I be expected to extend this love to that person as they are right now? This is answered with a lesson of a yichan sham Yisrael neged hahar. There they, in the singular, camped by the mountain. All other journeys and encampments were with disagreement. Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, gifted us with the capacity to draw unity into divisiveness. 
And this takes us to a higher position of unity than even the soul connection that we all have that unifies us, that of being sourced in God equally. This depicts the value of three over the quality of one, which means then that our efforts in Avas Yisrael must be first with a Jew who finds himself in a distant or in a lowly place, in a state of deep divisiveness and separation. There, Shum, specifically, one draws down the unity until the sense is of one man with one heart. This effort in Avas Yisrael, love of another Jew, and unity with another Jew, the experience of Vayichan, and they camped in the singular, particularly an effort that is connected to Torah, as it was there, camping by the mountain, influencing every Jew to have a letter in one of the Torah scrolls that are being written, thereby uniting all of Israel, will surely be the appropriate preparation and vessel for the Torah Hadashah Me'iti the revelation of the Torah of Mashiach, with the true and complete redemption through our righteous Redeemer, speedily in our days, Mamash.